It's good to see everybody joining us in the room and online on Labor Day weekend. What an honor. And got to give a shout out. Today is the launch of our, actually, let me do this. Today is my one year anniversary at Vibrant Church. I just want to let you know. My wife and I are glad to be here. We love you. We love you. We love you. You can give us all the money and cash and gifts you can. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. Somebody's going to email me about that. Shouldn't have said it. Hey, guess what? Today is the start of our small groups. We're really excited about that. And you can launch, uh, you can sign up to be on our small groups. You can go online, see all the options. So I want to encourage you, get connected in the life of the church. This is a great way to do it. In fact, if you talk to many people around our church, you'll find that really they got connected when they started to get connected into small groups and then getting connected into serving. So I wanna really encourage you to jump into that. You can go online, check that out as well. We recently partnered with uh, Convoy of Hope, and it's a mission that goes all over the United States and the world during crisis and problems, and there was some flooding in Jackson. They were actually expecting more, but thanks, God, thanks be to God, it didn't get any worse. It did have some minor flooding, but we have partnered with the Convoy of Hope, and we have sent supplies and things needed for cleaning houses and fixing up houses through that ministry. So I wanna thank you for all your generosity to make that happen through your weekly giving. So put your hands together. Thank God for a generous, life-changing church. Everybody say family business. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter number four. We have been discussing the last few weeks, and if you haven't uh, heard much of this, I want you to go back and listen. I believe God has been using this series to uh, help a lot of people, and we've had a lot of feedback in this series, more than we expected. So I wanna encourage you, go back if you've missed anything and, and just get fed. I believe that things happen when the word of God enters our life. Can I get a big amen? Yeah. Nehemiah chapter four, verse 14. Nehemiah says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. As you read the passage and you go down to verse 20, it actually lets us know that when they go to battle, he says, when we battle, God will fight for us. Let me tell you something. I believe with all of my heart that if you will fight for your families, God will fight for you. And uh, I think we can all agree that our families, the idea of family values are under attack. Family units are breaking and dissipating and dissolving and the principles of the word of God that surround the family are not prioritized uh, much in the culture and even less and less in the church. So that's why we are preaching a series on the family really was birthed out of spending so much time with so many of you, praying with so many of you, that many of your prayer requests sound eerily similar. It's a lot with family. Even today, both services praying with individuals at the altar, most all of them were family. So the enemy is attacking the family. And when we read in Nehemiah, we find that he sensed a calling to rebuild the city of Jerusalem to restore the dignity of that city, that community, 
to, to bring back the culture and the life of his ancestors that they once knew and to celebrate the festivals and the gatherings. And while he feels this calling, he's then now building this, these walls back to protect this community in this city. And the Bible lets us know that he had opposition. And how many of you know that if you're ever gonna do something great for God, you're gonna have some critics along the way. Well, the Bible lets us know that they are now threatening to come and fight them, to physically battle these workers that are rebuilding the wall. And Nehemiah stands in front of his men, what the verse we just read, and was trying to get these men who just signed up for a construction job. They didn't realize they were gonna get into a war. But they signed up for construction, now they have to defend what they are building. And he tells them that day to think about, now don't run away, you, you can put your tail between your legs and run, but, but, but hear me. He goes, you need to remember those you love and remember those who love you. He goes, you need to fight for your, your families. You need to fight for your sons. You need to fight for your daughters. You need to fight for your wives. He, he's trying to remind them that this moment, that people are depending on them to get this moment right and to think about the legacy you're leaving. This passage reminds us that family business is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. And to move our families toward the things of God, we have to fight for it. If you want to have a family that honors marriage, you have to, you have to fight for it. If you want a family that has family night, how many of you know? You gotta fight for it. If you wanna have a legacy of faith to pass on to the next generation, you have to fight for it. And Nehemiah is reminding them that the quality of life for those to come, those who were to come after them, those who are to come after us, is contingent upon how we handle moments in opposition. Are we gonna fight for the next generation? Are we going to fight for the legacy that we are called to live and to leave? I recently read online, you can look this up, it was published in the Florida Times Union in July, and it was a, an obituary. And I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes when I read it, and I thought immediately that I need to share this with you during our family business series. What I'm going to read to you today is a real obituary that was submitted by the family of a man who passed away. Lawrence H. Pfaff, Sr., was born in Belmont, New York, on April 16, 1941. He passed away on June 27, 2022, living a long, much longer than he deserved life. He is survived by his three children, no four, oops, five children, well, as of 2022, we believe there is one more that we don't know of, but there could be more. His love was abundant when it came to himself, but for his children, it was limited. From a young age, he was a ladies' man and an abusive alcoholic, solidifying his commitment to both of those things with the path of destruction he left behind, damaging his adult children and leaving them broken. Lawrence Sr.'s hobbies, included abusing his first wife and children, 
He loved to start projects but never followed through on any of them. He enjoyed the life of a bar fly for many years and had a quaint little living space studio above his favorite hole in the wall, the club in Nashville, Tennessee. Lawrence Sr. did not spend over 20 years, excuse me, did spend over 20 years in the NYPD, but even his time in service was neglected at best because of his alcoholic tendencies. His commander, commanding officer took away his gun and badge, replaced him with a broom until he could get his act together. Lawrence Sr. did claim to be clean and sober for over 30 years, but never worked any of the 12 steps, including the eighth and ninth steps with his children, making amends. He possesses no redeeming qualities for his children, including the ones he knew and the ones, quote, he knew about. Toward the end of the obituary, it says, it will be challenging to miss Lawrence Sr. because he was a narcissistic person. He was incapable of love. Lawrence Sr.'s passing proves that evil does eventually die. And it marks a time of healing which will allow his children to get the closure they deserve. Lawrence Sr. can be remembered for being a dad to many and a father to none. Psychologists and social scientists say that it is difficult to estimate the influence, good or bad, that our families have upon us. Peter Schizero, who has written many books on spiritual health, he said this, we often underestimate the deep unconscious imprint our families of origin leave on us. In fact, my observation is that it is only as we grow older that we realize the depth of their influence. Family patterns from the past are played out in our present relationships and decisions and, and occupations every single day and oftentimes without us even noticing it. Someone may look at an individual and see that individual acting alone, but studies will show that that person is really a player in a larger family system that if you can go back, can go three to four generations, which is proven by the word of God. In short, your life has moved in the direction of your influences, whether you've liked them or not. Psychologists do teach that families, when a person is born, they inherit a script, if you will, of family norms, of family thinking, family ideas that you inherit as you're growing up in a home. You, in this script, will teach you how to handle conflict. It would teach you how to, how to treat your wife, how to treat your husband, how to talk to your kids, who, who does the dishes, who washes the car, who pays the payment, who makes the most money. All of these things are subconsciously given to us that we have to learn to work through. And some of the things that were given to us on our scripts were not good. Just like when you go to a doctor's office, they will ask you, you ever sat down with a doctor and they make you sit on the butcher paper? <laughs> it's true, it's true. Make you sit on the butcher, uh, the butcher, I almost cussed. I did the butcher paper. And they'll say, do you have diabetes in your family, high blood pressure, stroke, heart attack? 
What they're trying to do is if they can know more about where you come from, they can find out what you're more predisposed to now. And, and so, in other words, if it has run to you, it could also run through you. And we're not just talking about physical attributes. We're not talking about just the way somebody looks, though that is true. Have you ever seen a father look like a son and son look like a father? Or a daughter look like, sometimes it's uncanny how much people can look alike. But I'm not just talking about physical looks. I'm talking about there's also a spiritual heritage, for better or for worse. And when I think about families in the Bible, in, in fact, I've heard one scholar say there are virtually no families in the Bible represented to be great families. I mean, everywhere you look, in the word of God, there's some dysfunctional stuff going on in families in the Bible, which is great news for me and you, right? Because your family's jacked up like my family's jacked up. But when, you, but when you read in the Bible, there's a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham, the Bible lets us know that he has a son named Isaac, and then he has a son named Jacob. Well, those three generations are very revealing as you flip through the pages of the book of Genesis. You can find some stuff that's running in the family. It's kind of unique. We know that he has a blessing given to God in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. It's really powerful, this blessing thing. But we also see some weird stuff in the family as well. How many of you know you got some weird stuff in your family too? One of the things we see is a pattern of lying in each generation. Abraham lied twice about his wife, Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. Jacob lied to almost everyone. His name actually meant deceiver. 10 of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death, the brother, faking a funeral and keeping the family secret for 10 years. Here's another one. Not only were there lying in each generation, there was favoritism by at least one parent in each generation. Abraham favored Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau. Jacob favored Joseph and then later Benjamin. You can see the pattern running through the family. Another one that you see running in the family is that brothers that run through the system here experiencing a cutoff from, another, from one another in each generation. You find that Isaac and Ishmael, Abraham's sons, were cut off from one another. Jacob fled his brother Esau and was completely cut off for years. Joseph was cut off from his brother for 10 years, 10 brothers. It's just an amazing thing to see it through the family line, isn't it? And these are people in the Bible. Here's another one. Poor intimacy in the marriages of each generation. Abraham had, to have, Abraham had a child out of wedlock with his secretary. Yikes. Isaac had a terrible relationship with Rebekah. Jacob had two thieves, or excuse me, two wives. Maybe they were thieves, I don't know. Two wives and two concubines. Look at the progression in the family line of things that just get passed down, oftentimes unintentionally, into our lives. It's like the story I heard of the, the newlywed couple that were moved into their new house and in the occasion was so excited, she told her new husband, I'm gonna cook us a turkey. He said, great. She goes to the store, brings the turkey home, and while she is warming the oven and prepping the turkey in preparation to cook the turkey, she takes a knife and cuts one end of the turkey off and then reaches over and cuts the other end of the turkey off. Well, the new husband's confused because 
I've been raised around my mama cooking turkey, and I've never seen anybody cut the ends of a turkey off. And he asked her, said, well, honey, I don't know if you, what are you doing with the turkey? Why are you cutting the ends off the turkey? She goes, you know, I don't know why I'm cutting the ends of the turkey off. My mom always cut the ends of the turkey off. Well, let's, let's me call my mom. I'm sure it has something to do with flavor and taste and the way it bakes or something. So they get mama on the phone and they talk to mama and they say, hey, mom, we're just wondering, I, I, why do you cut the ends of the turkey off? I just cut the ends of the turkey off because I always saw you cut the ends of the turkey. Why are we cutting the ends of the turkey off? And the mom said, you know what? I don't know why I cut the ends of the turkey off. I learned it from your grandma. Well, it just so happened that grandma lived with mom and so they got grandma on the phone and they said, grandma, why? Did you cut the end of the turkey off? I cut the end of the turkey off. My daughter cuts the end of the turkey off. We just need to know, is it flavor? Is it taste? And the grandma said, no, honey. The reason I cut the ends of the turkey off was because my oven was too small. <laughs> now hear me today. There are some turkey ends being cut off in our lives that we didn't mean for our families to turn out like this, but we just passed some things down and picked some things up along the way. Am I helping anybody? When you think about a family line, when you think about generational consequences, when you think about even generational curses, that's a kind of a harsher, scarier term, but I believe it does exist that there are things that run in the family. And when you think of a family, you can think of, think of this, this chain. I text uh, Lindsay, our assistant, and asked her to bring me a chain, and so she called uh, Mr. T, and he brought this, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there are generational consequences. There are sinful patterns that we oftentimes pick up across generational lines. And these negative patterns create a world for our, a world that is not healthy, can create relationships that are not godly relationships. And I've heard it said that sin travels. It travels from one generation to the next. And unfortunately, as much as we don't want to admit it, we can set in motion sequences in one generation that are then perpetuated by the next generation. And so you can oftentimes observe families that have running through the chain of their family heritage a victim mentality. You ever seen it? When mama can't get a job and this one, and it's that boss, I don't like him, and then now they're teaching the grandkids to complain about the employer, and it just seems to run, and ain't nobody can get a job, and nobody can hold a job. This seems like something ain't right. And, and, then, and then you'll see other things that run in the family like discouragement, loneliness, anxiety, depression, Sometimes you can look in a family and see a whole line of unfaithfulness or a whole line of fatherlessness, a whole line of abandonment or addiction, of laziness. Maybe you can look through the line and people have avoided conflict and healthy conversations to help the family, but... but 
because this daddy was passive and this son was passive and so now no one can talk about how this cousin does this but we don't want to hurt nobody's feelings so don't say nothing and don't tell nobody that there could be some abuses and there could be and so everybody just keeps a family secret and there could be family secrets running in the family am I helping anybody and whether it is by nature or by nurture you can look at families and see the common thread and though it may be in different addresses, and it may express itself differently, and it may have been a man in this generation and a woman in this generation, make no mistake that there are things passed through families. Am I helping anybody? So, so I'll tell you just a little bit about my family is that we, um, my family is from Ohio. We originally come from West Virginia, and we come from a long line, just like I'm sure many of your ancestors. It was a different day, a long line of a lot of alcohol in my family, right? We just loved to drink. The Bogsmen just love to drink. Well, I've had a lot of people ask me over the years, Pastor, now do you believe in drinking? A lot of people ask me, because a lot of people have different convictions about this, and I leave that between you and God and your word, and let the Holy Spirit lead you, and hopefully you're using wisdom and, and letting the Bible tell you what to do and not you tell the Bible what it, you wanted to say. But, but I believe that, number one, the Bible teaches us to not be given into drunkenness, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So me and my wife have made a decision that no alcohol is in our home, we don't drink because we just believe that. And if you know me, I am, don't know how to do anything in, in moderation. My wife knows that. It's all in or nothing, you know. If I'm going hunting somewhere for the first time, and they'll be like, you ever gone duck hunting? No, I'm going to have everything that you need for duck hunting, spend 10 grand to do it, go one time and hate it. <laughs> and have a garage full of duck hunting gear. So I don't do anything. I gotta be, you just got to know you. But, but. Scripture teaches, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We don't have alcohol in our home. We don't drink on dinner. We don't drink on vacation, but that's our conviction. With that, I want you to hear me. In addition to that biblical foundation, there's a part of, I believe, a spiritual aspect to that. Because in my family line, there's a lot of alcoholism. Okay? So, Several generations ago, my dad and his brothers and sisters in the Boggs line broke that pattern to not continue into the next generation. And so now that it's my turn, why would I revisit something that the last generation set us free from? I have no interest in perpetuating to the future what used to hold us in the past. Now, right now, you could feel absolutely discouraged, like, man, there's no hope. What are we gonna do? I've got all these problems. And, and you'll be tempted to start blaming grandma and grandpa and all this stuff. But let me show you a verse before you get too crazy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. Somebody say amen. In other words, 
what has run in your family the moment you've repented of your sin and given your life to Jesus and you've gotten covenant with your heavenly father, what used to run in your family doesn't have to run anymore through you. It may have run to you, but it don't have to run through you. The reality is that I'm a new person. I'm washed in the blood. I'm filled with his spirit. I have new influences. His word is defining my values. I'm shaped differently. And my appetite for what used to be will change. And now the trajectory of my life is adjusting to what God's word says, not by what my family predisposition is. I know that they used to struggle with certain things in the past, and they used to make those decisions, and they all abandoned their wives, and they all said this, and they all did that, and that's what they did, but it doesn't have to be that way with you. You don't have to die with the needle in your arm. You don't have to die in a prison cell. You don't have to give up and quit church after church after church from man to man, from woman to woman, from pill bottle to pill bottle. To, am I preaching to anybody? It doesn't gotta be your story. And you're gonna have to make up in your mind that I have decided that today's the last day that I, ref that I believe that it's running through me. I have made up in my mind that it has no chance going beyond me. I feel like I'm helping you right now. I feel like I'm helping you. We have to realize that we have to make the move to start a new cycle. Start the new move, start a new thing. And, and, and what has run down the line, I want you to watch this, what has run down the line for generation, the Bible says that the sins of the father can go three to four generations deep. What has run through the family line, what has moved through history, what you can research and look into, it can get to you, but you need to start a new link in the chain and begin a new story. And you may be the first one to go to college, go to college. You may be the first one to give your life to Christ, but be the first one to give your life to Christ. Whatever it takes, you're starting a new cycle, a new pattern, a new blessing in the family tree. Am I talking to anybody? Because I believe the enemy has convinced people that what you're doing doesn't mean anything, that, that, that your prayers are powerless, and this decision to start the business is just silly, and everybody else in your family's broken. You're gonna be broken. Everybody else in your family line is this way, and you're gonna be this way, but can I tell you something? That's not how it has to be. In fact, you know, when I was a kid, we used to have this above-ground pool, my mom and dad, and it was a circle, you know what I'm talking about, like, it wasn't in ground, we didn't have that kind of money. We just, we was above ground people. You know what I'm saying? Any above ground folks in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Ain't got quite enough to put it in the ground, but we got, mom and daddy got enough to put it up. You know what I'm saying? And what we used to do is we did a thing called whirlpool. You know what I'm talking about? That means everybody in the pool gets on the edges of the pool and starts to go one direction. All right, everybody goes one direction, everybody goes. And now the water is beginning to become circular, uh, begins to have a flow to it. And it begins to move in emotion with everybody else. 
And then at some point during the game, somebody yells, turn around, go the other way, right? We were poor growing up. That's what, that's what we did. I don't know what you guys did, but we were poor. You guys, you got anything to do, mom and daddy? Be like, let's go play in the pool, okay? <laughs> no Nintendo 64 in my house. So anyway, I think I just had a trauma moment just now. I don't know. They said, turn around, go the other way. And everybody turned around, and the current was so strong going the other way that it was so hard to go the, the opposite direction. And what we found is as we kept pushing on the current, eventually the current began to work in our favor. It took a minute, it took some time, but as we all kept moving, the water began to change the flow and the direction began to change. I wanna tell you today that even if you're the first person in your family getting saved and you feel the opposition and the criticism of them making fun of you being baptized, them making fun of you that you're getting in a small group, them laughing at you that you're getting in a serve team, but you just keep on going your way because sooner or later, you're gonna start seeing the favor of God and you're gonna change the trajectory that the kids that are behind you are gonna start walking in the way you're going and the blessing of God is going to get passed down to the people behind you because just because it ran to you doesn't mean it's running through you. <laughs> Billy Graham said the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Legacy is not just leaving something to people. Legacy is leaving something in people. And really, I have one question for you today. All of this sermon has built to this question that I want you to take this, take a picture of this, write this down, whatever it is. This is the question, ready? What kind of ancestor will you be? What kind of ancestor? Where are you on this link? Are you going to perpetuate and preserve and then expand faulty belief systems, attitudes and problems to the next generation? I was asked one time in a, by a person that what is your 100 year plan? And I remember thinking about that because that 100 year plan will make you not think about you because everybody in this room will be dead in 100 years. But what is your 100 year plan will make you think about your legacy? What am I leaving? What is behind me? I remember hearing growing up, you've heard it as well, the little, the song that we used to sing that says, be careful little feet where you go, right? Be careful little ears what you hear. And, and the older I get, the more I observe that, that, you know, I wonder if we should change the lyrics to that to say, be careful big feet where you go. And be careful big ears what you hear because little ears will only hear what big ears are hearing. Uh, little feet will only follow where big steps are going. And could it be that we are setting in trajectory for them things 
that are not good for them. What kind of ancestor is Ethan Boggs going to be? Winston Churchill said that my children are my best memorial. What am I, what am I leaving behind in the chain of events behind me? In closing, allow me to read to you something I thought was interesting. That Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan preacher from the 1700s. He was um, one of the most respected preachers in his day. He attended Yale at the age of 13. That's amazing. And later, I'm just trying to get my kids' shoes on the right feet. Later went on to become president of the Princeton College. He married his wife, Sarah, in 1727. They were blessed with 11 children. And every night when Mr. Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family, then praying a blessing over each child. Jonathan and his wife, Sarah, passed a great and godly legacy onto their children. An American educator, A.E. Winship, decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards to almost 150 years after his death. His findings are remarkable, especially when compared to another man from the same time period. The other man's name is Max Jukes. And when you look at the picture behind me, they studied both the lives of these men. Jonathan Edwards has spent a lifetime honoring God. Max Jukes spent a lifetime doing just the opposite. I want you to look at the family tree. Through Jonathan Edwards, we have a vice president, three U.S. senators, 100 lawyers, 100 pastors, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 60 authors, 80 public servants, 75 military officers, 65 college professors, 13 college presidents, all through Jonathan Edwards. Max Jukes on the other side, who didn't live a life honoring God. 190 prostitutes, 100 and plus, 100 plus drunks, seven murderers, 150 criminals, 310 died as paupers or beggars. When they begin to study the life of Max Jukes, they came to the conclusion and found that in just one New York prison system, they were able to trace 42 inmates back to him. Look at the difference. Look at the difference. Here, here's what I want you to understand. God can change your family tree. Change everything. Everything. My, uh, many of you know, I just told some of my family history. I'm really big on generational thinking. And when you think about my particular family, and I, I, I want to share with you, maybe this will help you. You know, my family's from West Virginia, and my grandma's family's from Nelsonville, Ohio, and this is just, you know, people just living in the mountains. If you go to my office, I have a really large picture of a, of a cabin that they built um, years ago. And that cabin reminds me every day to never forget where I come from. It's a beautiful cabin. We still own it. It's in the family today, and it's in Tariff, West Virginia. But I want you to listen to me for a moment that 
years ago, my, my grandma was raised by a man named Charles and Grace Bateman. And Grace Bateman would sneak and go to church. And my grandma said that Charles never really went, but, but, but Grace Bateman did. And uh, we have a couple pictures of her standing in front of an Assembly of God church with a Bible and still really cool. And my grandma said that she would sneak and tithe the money that she was allowed to have from her husband, which would have been nickels, pennies, you know, Great Depression time, really poor. She would tithe to the house of God. When she was able to sneak, she'd go. Well, then she had, I believe, eight children. And my grandma was in the mix there. And, you know, she was raised by grace, just telling her about the things of God. Telling her about the things of God. And my grandma was drawn to the things of God. And she started attending what she could attend when she married my grandpa, Charles, who really wasn't into the church scene at the time. And she began to go to a little brother in church. And she just, when she could go, she would go. And she had seven kids. My dad's one of the seven. And every single day, my granny would go downstairs and make a big country breakfast. And, and after she cooked her breakfast, my dad would tell the story that she would get on her knees at the, in her apron and she would pray, and she would say, Father, be with Kenny, be with Susie, be with Annie, be with Charlie, be with Ricky, be with Charlene, and then she'd always leave my dad for last. God help Johnny. <laughs> He's a train wreck, Jesus. And my dad said they'd come down the stairs, or he'd, you know, be getting ready to go to school and high school, whatever, and he would wait. He'd be so convicted, he'd wait in the living room until she was finished praying at the kitchen table. When she was done praying, he went in and eat. You know, it didn't seem like much, those little prayers. But I think it started something. Grace Bateman talking to Granny and her sisters and her brothers about the things of God. It may not have seemed like much. It could have maybe just been a Bible story or a prayer, but it started something. And, and then, then something got on my dad. and My aunt called my dad. My dad was really a hack job. He really still probably is, kind of. I don't know. But they called him and said, if you go to church this one weekend, we'll never ask you to go to church again. You could pick the church. We don't even got to go with you. I mean, what a deal, right? I mean, that sounds like a great deal. And he said, okay, he picks a church. God knew what he was doing. Picks a church. And, and just a couple generations away. And he goes to church and goes to some little tiny church in Redmond, Ohio, on the south side of the tracks. It was called Christian Tabernacle. A man named Wesley Ball was the pastor about 40-something years old. He's from the bottom county of West Virginia. It was an old gas station building, converted into a church. And in the middle of that service, he looks back, and at the altar time, he looks at my father, and he says right to my dad, looks right at him in the face and says, son, why don't you give your life to Jesus? My dad's 17 years old. And all of a sudden, that one question got the next generation. Got the next generation. If you raise them up in the way that they should go, when they are older, 
they will not depart from it. Another way you can say it is that it won't depart from them. It can't get away. It's like fire shut up. That's why some of you don't even know how to sin. Some people know how to sin good. Some of us have been raised in church and praying mamas and fasting grannies in the house of God. You go to the bar, you get drunk, and you start preaching. I've seen you do it. You cry and you repent because you're eat up with something that's down the family line. My father met my mama at that church. Had Landon, Lashana, Ethan, Cheyenne, Chris. And today, right now, my brother Landon leads worship at a church, four or five campuses, four to 5,000 people. My sister Lashana, she, she, married a, she married a pastor. They're in church probably right now. They have a long church. That ain't my kind of church. I got to tell you right now. They're real Pentecost. We'll be sitting there all night. It's like, no, I'm going to Vibrant. We're going to be done in an hour and 15 minutes. I'm just kidding. Rodney, if you're watching, I'm just kidding, okay? Then, then my, my sister Shine's leading worship at a church. My brother Chris is pastoring a church. And it all started way up the family line. And I am totally... Can, I am totally, I'm, I'm set on this, what I'm about to say. I have to, with everything I have, I may not be a perfect dad, because I'm not perfect. Me and Lena may not be a perfect couple, but we can be praying parents. Uh, we may not have it all together, but my son's gotta get the real thing. He gotta get the real, Judah gotta get the real thing. And what was passed down to me, Lily Kay's got to get the real thing. Your son and daughter got to get the real thing. That thing that's just passing, and I'm telling you right now, you may not know what it will look like in a hundred years. But many of you are here right now because somebody else had a little something on the inside. Tommy, you're sitting there because somebody just kept praying and I could go around the room and Pastor Josiah's daddy, worship pastor, his grandparents were pastors, and it just got all in the, it's got in the family line. And Isley's sitting right there on the front row beside you, and guess what? It's gonna be all over her. She won't be able to get away from it. She'll try to run from it. The next thing you know, the thing just pulls her back. I pray that over every teenager, that if your mom and dad's raised you in the house of God, you can't run away from it. It'll get up in you. You can't get away from the things of God. If God got in you, it's so hard. If you got the Holy Ghost bite, it's so hard to get that out of your system. If you've been in church and you've seen the tears and you've been in the altar and you've cried and you've opened that word and you've tasted the good things of God, you can run, but you cannot hide. That Holy Spirit will grab you and pull you back and say, no, no, no. If you raised your right, it won't depart from you. Don't you give up on that teenager. Don't you give up on your wayward son. Don't you give up on your daughter. I've come to tell you today, something's pulling them. Something's dragging them back. Something's stirring them. It is not over. Their story's not over. And I pray in the name of Jesus, they will bow their knee and say, Jesus is Lord. Come on, put your hands together. Give God praise.
It's in the blood. It's in the blood. Can't shake it. Can't get away from it. Thank you, Jesus. Will you stand with us all over the room? Wally, I know I told you last service, but you know, when you think about, you don't think it's significant what you're doing probably. And I know you're, you're a good guy, you got a nice mustache and stuff. But you don't even realize what you're doing right now. You're putting something in the family tree of serving God and honoring God with time and, and talent. And you're doing something that the future will look back. Your daddy, you know, I don't even know where he's at. There he is. That's his, look at that. That's where it started. Look where his dad's sitting right now. Sitting on the sound or lighting system. Look what you did, man. You raised him right. You got him in the house of God. And look at him. He got bit. And look at him. Now he's swaying like a beautiful swan. Look at him. I love it. I love it. Who else can I pick on? Look, they all started backing up. Everybody backing up. Can I pray with you today? Pastor Tyson and the team's gonna sing and we're gonna let you go. We're gonna give you the opportunity to give on your way out in just a minute. I want you to stay in your seat. Pastor Tyson, I want you to sing that song of whoever's singing it. I want you to declare these words over your life. Favor from God. A thousand generations. That it ain't, it ain't stopping here. Come on, raise your hands to heaven, church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. May his in the name of Jesus, generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. Thank you, Jesus. May his favor be upon you, and a thousand generations, and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we speak a blessing over every home every marriage, every teenager, every son, every daughter, every single mom, every single dad, everybody grieving loss, whatever the situation is. Father, today, something new is in the family line. And we pray against depression that's been passed down. We pray against anxiety. We pray against divorce. We pray, against, we pray against these ideas that are not of God. We, we pray against discouragement. And, and we pray against these unfaithful alcoholic spirits and unfaithful spirits and addictive spirits that are trying to pass down and family curses. We pray in the name of Jesus. Be broken now in the name by the blood of the Lamb. We pray freedom. And who the Son sets free shall be free indeed. We pray, God, that the next generation, we pray that the family business, 
will be anointed and blessed and whole and, and, and favored and let them have business ideas and let them walk in supernatural anointing. Let them see people raised from the dead. Let them see people healed and restored. Let my son stand on a platform. Let him preach the word, God. Let my daughter stand in the presence of your name, your presence and feel the anointing like I felt the anointing. Let it be passed down. God, forgive me for not passing it well. Give me the wisdom to pass it well. Give me the insight to pass it well. Make me a father that you want me to be. Let my son and my daughter, let my generations after me know that we are blessed a thousand generations in Jesus' name. If you believe it, put your hands together. Give God a praise.